never once in my mind did I ever think like I'm gonna die. For the most part, my thoughts were to like, all right, my wife's gonna be pretty angry at me about this. When Josh was deployed to Afghanistan, it was tough on his wife Paige. Then she got the call that Josh had lost both of his legs and could lose his life. Josh and Paige's entire story, it's very powerful, is in the book Beautifully Broken, An Unlikely Journey of Faith. And they're here as well on the 30-Second Book Club podcast. So Josh and Paige, let's start from the beginning. Tell us how you met. Josh and I, uh, basically, we were both college athletes at the same junior college. I was playing volleyball and he was playing baseball. Um, We'll say Josh took a liking to volleyball for uh, not the most holistic reasons um <laughs> but he and we got we ended up getting to know each other just because we went to a small school and all the athletes hung out together um and uh I was not a very girly girl I mean I, I'm still not but I think that was something that um he liked and he liked that I was athletic and stuff and so we we ended up being friends and then eventually started dating and just going to school together. Okay. And so this book is just about your journey and Josh's journey in the military. And so let's, let's start here at the the very beginning of the book. You talk about how, you know, when, when there was, uh, when he was uh, going to be deployed and you say, you ask the question, you know, what does normal look like? What was that feeling like being a, a spouse with a deployed soldier? For people like me that don't really understand what that's like. Uh, well, for me, I think that I, looking back, I don't think I had a great attitude about it. I, I mean, I was immature. I was 21, 22 years old. But um, I really, I wanted Josh to lead. I wanted him to take on those um opportunities to promote, to be a team leader, all those things. But when it came with more responsibility or more time away from home, um, I kind of griped about that as well, because I knew when he deployed, it was just going to be like, we were fully away from each other all the time. And um, <clears throat> I think that's something a lot of military spouses go through. It's just that um, you kind of speak from discontent a lot of the time and you don't mean to because you are proud of your husband. You are proud of the things that he's doing and how he's working, but um, there isn't really a, um, I think sometimes we don't realize how discouraging we can be. And then when he actually left, I really had a lot of regret about that. Um, But I was glad that I walked through that because I think it completely changed my attitude once he got over there because we could only talk to each other for about 15 minutes a week. And um, so we just didn't fill any of that time with, you know, Oh, I miss you or, you know, anything like that. It was always really positive. Don't worry about things at home and that kind of thing. So um, it, it wasn't leading up to that deployment. That wasn't my finest uh, moment in being a wife, but I do think that it really opened my eyes to, you know, man, we just don't have time for this. We got to be there for each other, no matter what's going on. And, you know, there, it, it really was like a dying to myself and doing what was best for the team, you know? Mm. And Josh, so on the flip side, 
you know, I, I, that was an eye opener for me, uh, not really knowing much about what it's like to be in the military that, you know, you had to, f- when you got, actually got to be on the phone, I mean, there was what, five other people waiting to, to use it. And so there's this pressure of, of uh, hurry up. So what's that like, the, 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 the struggle of not being able to communicate when you're um, away from your family? Um, you know, for me, um, it was, it was pretty hard. Like my family, um, you know, we're a really close family, right? I've grown up, um, you know, I was that typical Southern family that, you know, everybody goes to, you know, grandmother's house on Sunday afternoon after church to, um, hang out with each other. And, um, I'm the oldest of what, 20 something grandchildren, Um, and we're all very, very close. And so, um, you know, being away from family, um, and not being able to connect with them, um, was hard. Um, but it was also kind of a blessing in disguise a little bit as well. Um, because it helped me to focus, stay focused on the mission and on, um, you know, my soldiers as well. Um, so it's kind of a, kind of a, almost a good balance, you know? And, um, I, I, I'm also, um, like, I'm not a huge worrier about things. And so like, um, I don't, I don't worry about really anything. And so where we were at was extremely dangerous. And, um, I didn't want to, I didn't necessarily want to bring that on anybody else either. And so, um, that limited conversation kind of helped that as well. So let's, uh, fast forward to, you know, the big part of the book is, uh, what happened to you? when you were serving and uh, the IED that ended up uh, about taking your life. Let's go to that moment. Um, Did you think when you heard that explosion and you flipped up in the air, as you say in the book, did you think that was it? Honestly, no. I I tell people all the time, like (laughs) it kind of goes back to like, I'm not a worrier, but I also don't have a healthy fear of anything. And so um, imagine me as a kid, like, you know, I was like, uh, if you've seen the movie Old Yeller, I was like Alice and Old Yeller, like always playing with snakes and uh, <laughs> frogs, anything, any kind of critter and anything. And um, always climbing on things, climbed on my house. You know, I could climb on top of my refrigerator before I could even walk. Um, jumping it out of an airplane, that was no problem for me. Um, and so, you know, and and even in Afghanistan, like being shot at, like didn't, like nothing ever crossed my head. Like this is crossed my mind. This is dangerous, you know? Um, and matter of fact, when we were in firefights, you know, I tell people like when the bullets were flying, like that's when I was my best me. Like I was more hyper-focused than I had ever been, you know, during those times. And, um, so when I stepped on the bomb immediately, um, I knew what had happened. You know, we watched, I watched a guy do it the day before and, um, you know, I knew what had happened and never once in my mind did I ever think like I'm going to die. For the most part, my thoughts were to like, all right, my wife's going to be pretty angry at me about this. Um, <laughs> and then um, I've got to figure out a way to calm down my medic because he was my best friend. And he's, a, you know, he's a shaky guy in everyday life. And, you know, seeing your best friend step on a bomb and lose both of his legs, that's going to make you a little extra shaky. I don't want that guy working on me. And so I, uh, I just, all, all I could think about was like, all right, how do I, how do I calm him down? You know? And so, 
um, I don't know if this is even in the book, but you know, like while I was laying on the ground, like the whole, the whole time, like I was just joking around, like, you know, I was like, Hey, we're going to have like barbecues. I'm going to get some of those sweet running legs. And like, it's going to be, this is going to be awesome. You know, like no, no big deal, you know? And, um, you know, at, at one point, like I, you know, refused the fentanyl lollipop instead of, uh, because I couldn't have morphine, I refused the fentanyl lollipop and rubbed it in the dirt like a child. Um, but I was because just because it was the wrong flavor. Yeah, it was the wrong flavor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for me, like I never, it never once crossed my mind that all right, this is it. You know, I, um, you know, I knew what had happened, and I was just going to deal with whatever, whatever the full ramifications of that was. In the book, uh, you talk a lot about your, your, your guys' spiritual journey through all of this, too. And, Josh, at what point did you, you, you go from this point of saying, okay, you know, I had a faith that I thought was pretty solid, but then it really became solid through what you were going through? Honestly, you know, when I first got injured, obviously, you know, in, in a situation like that, everybody's going to turn straight to faith, right? They're going to, you know, be stronger in their faith than they've ever been, but... I, I would say it probably didn't even click for me until probably a few years down the road, you know, um, you know, the, I, I never once thought that, you know, the going through my recovery and learning to walk again, that was going to be the easiest thing um, that I did, uh, you know, because when I got out, you know, I didn't have that military support structure that you always have. You didn't have that camaraderie with all the guys that you deployed with. And, um, it was just me and, and Paige. And honestly, like we struggled in our marriage in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, the devil just really attacked my life at that point, you know, cause I was just kind of alone and vulnerable on an Island. And, um, I didn't, I didn't want to get back into any kind of community or anything like that. And so, you know, it probably took, you know, three or four years after I, or two, two or three years after I retired out of the military to even, you know, realize like, all right, God's trying to work in my life and I'm fighting that with every bone in my body. Like I need to just let go and let God work in my life. And cause I'm, I'm a mess right now, you know? And so, you know, I, I think it was like learning that sanctification is a real thing and it's a lifelong thing. And when we, when Josh got hurt, like we knew that there was purpose. We didn't, you know, it, we didn't know exactly what we were going to do, but we knew that we were going to do it, you know, whatever that was. But it's almost as if the more control your life has, or you believe that it has, um, the further you, I mean, that literally induces your wandering. And um, while we were at Walter Reed, we felt like we were in leadership positions. We felt that there were people that were counting on us. We had to count on each other. Uh, there were things that were obviously going on behind the scenes, just figuring out how to be married in this situation, you know. Um, but we were very on mission. And then when we got in the civilian world, we tried really hard to like close the chapter and leave it behind. And I, you know, looking back, that's just so dumb because it's like, 
I don't know. I feel like God sits up there as like, oh, so we're just done with it. You know, this thing that I walked you through that could continue to help people for the rest of your life. We're just done talking about it. We're done using it, you know. And um, but he allowed us to wander, you know, and, and really allowed us to say like, OK, well, if you if you think this is what uh, life beyond this hospital is, then go for it and see if you can figure it out. And um, we didn't. And <laughs> so we came back for whole new reasons. <laughs> Well, and Paige, I was, I, I, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that you, you talked about in the book that at that point, you know, when your husband was going through all those surgeries and sur- and all that stuff, you said you weren't reading God's word, but then, um, there was a friend that sent you a note with a Bible verse talking, the one about, uh, James talking about considering it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What did that do to, to help you out and change kind of your perspective? Well, at first I read that and I was like, is that in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, I had to like look it up. Um, but it, for me, it was just kind of a, uh, I love the book of James, but it was such a practical uh, explanation for the human experience because we can't avoid trial. You know, you can't avoid hardship on any level of any kind. And So to be joyful in those trials, you know, that was just the first time that I really thought that, you know, living out God's purpose is, um, is finding, is believing what you believe in situations like this. And, um, and we're not the first people to do that. You know, if you, if you're skeptical of that, I mean, look at anyone that helped start the New Testament church, you know, like the life of Paul and the life of, uh, you know, all the other, um, the ones that were assigned to branch off and begin, you know, new churches for Christians and people that were, um, that were in the faith after Christ, you know, rose from the dead and things like that. And so, um, we aren't the first people to be put in a hard space while God asked, do you still believe me? And one of my favorite, I think Beth Moore says this, but one of my favorite quotes is, do you believe in God or do you believe God? And that was a big, like, do I believe what God says in every season and every test and every situation? And it really just opened my eyes to, um, you know, I want, like my, there's a picture I have in my mind that this doesn't fit into. And God is sitting there going, okay, well, do you believe me? Or is this one, is this a deal breaker? Are we, are we at the crossroads of a deal breaker right now? And, um, you know, there have been times in my life before Josh got hurt where I, I would have kind of stayed with that skepticism. And, um, that was just a time where I, really just kind of opened my heart and was like, God help me. Like, I understand this is rooted in unbelief, you know, and help me through that and help me see things as they are, but see the purpose in them. Um, and so that was a discipline. It wasn't just like a, you know, I got zapped with a lightning bolt and I was all of a sudden a saint, you know, it was a, it was a daily uh, reminder of what I was trying to do in my faith while navigating that situation. I thought it was really interesting that after your uh, years of being at Walter Reed, um, that you came home and, and things looked like they were starting to get to normal. But then 
that's kind of when you really start having some issues in your marriage. Were you surprised by that, Josh? Um, honestly, yeah. I mean, as like I was saying a minute ago, you know, like I honestly thought that, um, you know, I thought that my recovery would be the hardest thing that I ever did, you know, um, for the rest of forever, you know? And I, uh, you know, I lived in this area of like, all right, I just want to get to like a spot. Like, I feel like I've been climbing a lot, you know, I just want to get to a spot where I just like plateau out, you know, I just want to like live life normally and fly under the radar, be a regular guy. And, um, you know, I, I think that's what, um, you know, I think that's what the enemy wants almost is to get you in that situation where you feel comfortable and isolated and, um, really just starting, um, start like tearing things apart in those situations, you know? And so, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was really surprising, um, to me and, you know, I get caught off guard by a lot of things, um, like that anyway. And so just being a man. And so, uh, yeah, it definitely, definitely caught me off. So let's go here. Um, just going a little further into your book, and it's there's so much that uh, it, it, there's so many great things and, and just eye openers for people that are civilians and have no idea what military life is like. I just the, you know you just see just reading about you guys running around the hospital just trying to get a paper sign, and, and the person's never there, or there's so much turnover. The person there's a new person, they're not there yet, and you have to wait. And it's like, come on, why <laughs> sign the paper? Um, yeah, <laughs> I just felt so bad for you guys. And then so you you went through all that, you got back, and then you your marriage started to take a hit. And then you were invited to this incredible retreat. Uh, I didn't even know that Samaritan's Purse did. So cool. One of those things, you know, I know about their Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Mm-hmm. So then, then, so Paige, talk about that because that is something that was totally a God thing, right? That, that the whole process of you being invited to that, share that story. Well, we had signed up for that trip and the whole premise of the trip is helping military couples where one or both have been through combat trauma. And it's a, it's a, five day intensive um, look into your marriage through a military person's perspective. So our, we had like military chaplains running the whole thing, but it's in Port Allsworth, Alaska, which is one of the most isolated places on earth. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no fun. I mean, you have to use a landline to call (laughs) home and check on your kids. And so you're completely unplugged. And it was just so brilliant how they set it up because we're in, we're in the wilderness of Alaska. I mean, you look out there and you, it looks like a screensaver, you know? And, um, so the first thing we do, we get off the plane and we immediately, it's like, all right, throw all your stuff down. We're going fishing. So immediately they like hook the guys, you know, cause they're, <laughs> you know, so they get the guys reeled in and then, you know, we have dinner and then we kind of talk about like what we're going to do this week. And, it was literally like the first experience where Josh and I were like in a uh, spiritual environment where we truly felt like we are talking to people that know what it means. Like there would, you know, we kind of did this one thing about like how many of you feel this way or how many of you, this goes on in your home or whatever. And it was literally like, these people are spying on us. Um, (laughs) But it was a, it was so relieving because I was like, we're normal. Like we are literally going through normal things, but um, Satan would have you believe that like, no, this is so bad. You can't recover from this. You're never going to understand each other again. Um, Your marriage was left back at Walter Reed 
you know, and, and it's, you just can't go forward. You just don't know how. And then to look around the room at other military families and they're like, yeah, that's our everyday life. Um, that means there are other people walking that path with you. You know, we just, did, we didn't know that because we were spending all our effort trying to just blend in with, you know, regular people that hadn't gone through what we had been through. And so um, that was when we really started focusing on like, man, we've got to really get around people that get us, that understand this. And um, it just came with the territory when you're in an amputee hospital and every patient is an amputee, you know, and it, it was so, it was just such a relief to see that. Yeah. Community is so important. I thought it was kind of cool. At the, at the end, you talk about a, um, the, uh, an exercise you guys did that I, that I think would be good for, for all couples. The, um, Josh, you want to talk about the, the taking out the trash exercise? It's basically yeah. just what are the things that bring up the most arguments? What are the things that you can't, um, that every time you're in an argument, this is used as a weapon and oh, we're yeah. supposed to write those things down. And we wrote like, things like old things that come up in fights. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're essentially, through, through that exercise, we were, it started out like we were learning how to um, have like good arguments, you know, without, um, you know, like tearing other things down, right? And bringing other things that don't really matter into it. Um, and so basically, um, we were told to, you know, write those things down because, you know, obviously they're important enough to remember and bring up in an argument. Um, and so they're important to talk about. And so, um, brought them, you know, we wrote them down, we talked about them. And then at that point, um, after we talked about them and we kind of cleared the air with those is when we literally just like ripped them up and threw them into the burn pile. And like those, those things are never going to come up again, you know, and they're like really like hurtful areas, you know, um, you know, whether it's, you know, things that have been done to you in your marriage or just things that, that, you know, affect you in a negative way, um, in your marriage and in your, in your like arguments and stuff like that. Cause we're humans, we're going to argue and, you know, it's good to have arguments and stuff. And, um, it's just important to have an argument in a, in a good way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we literally, you know, just ripped those up and threw them into the burn pile, you know, and that was, um, for me, that was, you know, freeing because it was a, you know, a good way to, you know, like get things out that maybe, you know, we've been struggling with that we haven't necessarily cleared the air with. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, when, when you're saved, you know, like, geez, like you're literally, you know, washed with the blood of the lamb and, you know, your sins are forgiven and they're, you know, they're gone. And so, you know, it was same thing with that as well. So, uh, fast forwarding a little bit more that, that weekend was, or that week was an incredible restoration to your marriage. And then, you know, Paige, you talk about how, you know, Josh asked you one of the most memorable questions he'd ever asked, what would you think about getting baptized together? And then you share about how you learned so many lessons at the start of 2018, but the biggest was that God works in the ways I don't understand. Yeah. I just think, um, uh, one of the struggles that I've had personally is, um, I desperately want to be used in God's plan, but that's, that's where I think um, I get attacked most by Satan, honestly, just like, 
I am a, um, I tell people all the time, I've always believed in God. I've just never believed in myself. And I really have a hard time, even in reading the Bible, like what God did with other people in the Bible. Sometimes I really, I can take that and go, well, that was true for them. Mm. You know, that was true for Jeremiah or David or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and that might not be true for me. And so, um, it, that you should not read things like this, like that. And, your faith dwindle. <laughs> and so sometimes that would be um, the issue. And um, what I learned in 2018 was that um, whatever God was going to do in Josh's life, it was not going to require my coaching. It was not going to require me to um, step in and kind of like tell him what to think or tell him like, Hey, what, you know, like, uh, uh, just prod him for answers or thoughts or things like that. Just kind of let him sit with it. Um, because I think in trying to fight that, um, tendency that I have, I overdo, I kind of, I go into a space of like, um, not really listening to people and being too much of a helper, meaning I think I know what's best for you. And so, um, so when we joined this, we did like a small group for the first time ever. And, um, I just told God, like, I will not, I'm making the vow right now. I'm not going to coach Josh and what to think or how to react to anything we do when we go to this small group. And, um, it will be totally on like whatever he thinks. And, um, if he hated it, I was just going to have to let that go. And, um, it was just really awesome to see how into it Josh was and that he did have a lot of thoughts. Um, but that is how true revelation is. And I pray just as a mom that I can remember that because I know as a mother, I'm going to try to really like, uh, you know, I'm just going to talk my kids out of sinning the way that I did, you know, <laughs> and um, you really have to walk through things to make, to make them valid, you know, and um and God allows that, you know, he, he welcomes us back whenever we're done with wandering and that kind of thing. And so I, um, you know, the, the thing is where I think what could have happened, what could have been very confusing is that we could have gotten baptized together anyway on my invitation. Um, and in hindsight, everything would have ended up the same way, but it was a lasting effect because Josh got there in his own way, on his own terms. And so did I. And it, it really just started us on this journey of, you know, our marriage is something that glorifies God together. You know, we, we got out of that whole, you know, we're just trying to survive and pay the bills and keep our children alive. You know, it was like this, this is supposed to mimic Christ's relationship with the church, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, when we thought about that, it was like, yeah, we're, we're not anywhere close to that, you know? And so getting baptized was just such a, um, I wanted it, but if it wasn't his idea, then I wasn't going to pressure him, you know? And so the fact that he wanted it himself really showed that like, man, we are, we are turning a new leaf here as a couple. Josh, I think it was powerful when you said that when you went under the water during your baptism, you had one very specific thing you vowed to set yourself free from shame. This is kind of hard. So, um, you know, shame, essentially, like when I got out of the army, shame just engulfed my life and every, every aspect of everything. Right. 
And, um, you know, whether it was because I was unfaithful in my marriage or pornography, or if I wasn't, you know, being the, the leader that I needed to be like every, every aspect of that, you know, resulted in shame and just completely took over my life, you know? And, you know, when we were going through this small group and, and talking through shame, you know, it's, it's something that I realized that it's something that we all go through, you know, and that's not, that's not something that God's doing in your life to convict you. That's something that, that, you know, Satan is using in your life to take you farther away from community, from God and to isolate you even more, you know? And, um, you know, to just realize that like, I'm not going through it alone and I don't have to let that control my life and define who I am, um, was really, really freeing for me. I think it was the first time we recognized shame as a weapon, Mm -hmm. um, for evil. And it really justified Josh's whole, like I'm flying under the radar thing. Um, because he was afraid to lead. He was afraid to, um, just kind of bring up, it was almost a thing of like, we didn't want to talk about even his injury. And it got to a point where I kind of got this vibe that like Josh was kind of done helping people using his story, you know? And um, I think it was the first time we realized that shame is something that's not only not true, but um, whatever bad thing you've gone through, whether it's by your own doing or, you know, something tragic happening to you, there is someone else that needs to be helped by someone that is, that has walked through it. And because of shame, we kind of took ourselves out of the game. You know, it's like, well, you're going to have to get that help somewhere else. And, um, and it really just kept us quiet about things that could give people freedom, you know, and consider God for real, for real help and real comfort and real peace and not, um, well, this is just another platform where I'll be where I'm going to be judged. So let's, let's wrap things up here in in your chapter, eternal mission. You both talk about the question remains, why am I here? And why did this happen to me? You guys feel like you have an answer for that now? If you would have asked before this COVID time, we probably would have said, you know, we still don't really know what that purpose is. Um, But, you know, like during, during COVID, you know, it was, it's, it was hard for everybody and um, it was hard being stuck at home and away from community and all that. Um, And, you know, we just kind of sat down and decided to use it as an opportunity to, to grow out of it, right. To reevaluate everything in our lives and what we're doing and what God's purpose is for us and um, really figure out like what's, what, what God's trying to do with us and, you know, what our priorities are in life. And let's, you know, let's focus on those. Right. And um, cause you know, we both worked in athletics at Auburn and um, it's very easy to get in that day to day grind and just put things on the back burner. And um, we just got the opportunity to, um, you know, during this time be closer to um, the veteran community. And it's something that we really missed. And uh, we realized that we really missed and we wanted to, um, you know, get back into, you know, and so um, it's kind of revitalized that, that purpose of uh, serving veterans and, and sharing that story and, and um, you know, being around other veterans. And so we've gotten, you know, opportunities to, um, you know, be able to, um, you know, work on 
Fort Benning, which is right down the road from us and, um, you know, serve basic trainees during their, um, during their chapel services and, you know, possibly have Bible studies with them, um, as well. And then also work in, um, you know, different small groups for veterans that are suffering with, um, you know, traumatic stress. And, um, you know, it's really revitalized that purpose. And, um, you know, honestly, like I, I know we're, you know, kind of talking about our book, but like I read a book recently, it's called Jesus was an airborne ranger, something that I'm kind of like passionate about right mm-hmm. now. Right. It's kind of hard to imagine Jesus as, you know, uh, uh, you know, a hardened war hardened airborne ranger. And, um, but in reality, um, you know, Jesus was the ultimate warrior. Um, you know, if you take what he did in his life and you, and you mirror it to army doctrine, um, you know, he was essentially here on an airborne mission. He came down, down from heaven to earth behind enemy lines to go toe to toe with the enemy and, um, you know, save the lives of, you know, all of humankind on earth. Right. And so if you look at it that way, like he was the ultimate warrior, and it just kind of helped us to reconnect with that, you know, that warrior mentality that we are all warriors. You know, God made us in his likeness, in his image, and he's a warrior and we're all warriors, you know, and it kind of helped us to, you know, remember that and remember how important it is that, you know, every man and woman that goes through Fort Benning or any military installation in a training um, capacity, you know, they're all, they all signed up with the with the, um, with the knowledge that, you know, that they could give their lives for every man and woman in this country. And that's powerful, you know? And so it's important to us to be able to share God's word. And, um, you know, if, if they're willing to die for me, then I want to, you know, take every opportunity that I can to share God's word with them and hope that they know Jesus if that time comes. One of the greatest threats to our happiness is to hold on to an offense. One offense has the ability to ruin your day, your week, your month, or maybe even your entire life. So how do you become unoffendable? Well, Ryan Leak has the answer for you. He'll be talking about his new book called Unoffendable next week on the 32nd Book Club podcast.